the Cloud Enough Podcast, your launchpad for Amazon Web Services. Welcome to this special from Cloud or Not. Today I'm doing a recap of Andy Jesse's keynote from reInvent 2020 together with Michael. So we are both on the same show, Michael. <laughs> I'm happy to do that. Yeah, that's great, Andreas. Um, so let's start. So I watched the keynote um, yesterday in the live stream. And what I actually I'm interested in is your first impression. So what was the first impression of the keynote that you had, Andreas? Yeah, so this year everything is different, right? So the last years we have been traveling to Las Vegas. This year the whole conference is virtual. It's over three weeks. And of course it's different than the years before. So in general, I found the keynote, it was a very solid keynote. It was crazy long. So <laughs> three hours of keynote to watch it from your um, laptop or from I watched it on my phone. And um, this is really a long time to stay focused. So I don't know, most, I think most people have Googled around and tweeted and stuff like that. So the focus is really hard to keep and you're not sitting in that room, in that dark room. Um, yeah, but overall the keynote, so it was solid, but it also, it felt a little bit boring from my perspective. So it was not those giant, huge stages and everything. It was not that impressive then uh, when you're on Las Vegas um, live. So um, when you compare it also to an Apple keynote um, this year, also the visuals or videos were not that astonishing. It was it was solid. It was a good presentation, of course, from Andy Chassis. Uh, but yeah, I think it was also a little bit boring. Maybe maybe three hours is also a little bit long to <laughs> to keep the excitement going. <laughs> uh, so I really liked the announcement. So there were a lot of announcement in that keynote. That was what I liked a lot. Um, yeah, so maybe that's my take on the keynote. What's your thoughts on it, Michael? Yeah, so I, I think I agree with what you said. Um, and I think the bottom line is that we, we will have like evolutionary improvement of everything, but it wasn't a revolution. Uh, so lots of improvements, um, tiny bits here and there, which is, I don't say that that's not important. So it's, it's, it's amazing because if you use AWS, like it gets better and better and better. And lots of the, the missing pieces were added, but it's not something that was spectacular kind of thing. Um, so that was my impression. So, Andreas, um, why, why not uh, let us start going through the announcements? And um, we have a couple of um, details that we researched in, that we can add here and there to the announcements um, besides just summarizing them. So let's start with that. Or do you have anything else to add before we uh, go through the announcements? Yeah, so no, I want to start with, um, so at the beginning of uh, his keynotes, Andy Chessy usually talks about numbers, the growth and everything. So I really wanted to start with that. And, and I have a funny side note. So this is a story from Las Vegas. So I was finally in the same elevator than Andy Chessy, but I didn't realize it <laughs> before he went out. So I had no chance for an elevator pitch. <laughs> so this was uh, this is my story from, from reInvent and, and Andy Chessy. But yeah, besides that, so Andy Chessy started with, I think, two important numbers. So the first one is um, the revenue for the AWS business. Uh, so they're doing 40 billion uh, um, right now in or November 2020. Uh, so Roughly, that's a 30% year-over-year growth compared to last year. And I, I always like those charts. So I have, I've heard a podcast recently, and they call those the Bezos charts. So those are charts <laughs> without any uh, access where you don't really know about the numbers. They just show you it's growing. That's basically the message. So, yeah, that's funny. But I think that's still interesting. 
Also, uh, Andy Chessy showed a slide where he um, said that uh, they expect that cloud is only 4% of the IT market, uh, of the IT spend, of the global IT spend. Uh, so there is a lot more probably to come in the next years or even decades when, when moving from on-premises to cloud environments. So I thought that was an interesting number as well. Um, yeah, anything else from that first introduction block, Michael, that you want to, to highlight? Um, no, I think like there was also this kind of um, story that, that Andy presented about what are the, the key capabilities that you need to reinvent your organization. And that's more kind of the, the business language. I mean, what do you need? So, for example, you need um, uh, the leadership will to reinvent and invent. Um, you, you need... Um, talent that's hungry to invent and stuff like this i mean it was it's always interesting to listen but i, I don't think that you can do much with with this information um but um yeah so that was kind of the the setting so they they kind of um, let us know how the business is going and and uh, how they think that you should kind of use the cloud like in a very like the general way with these goals uh, or key capabilities that you need to do it um so yeah, that that that's always um, interesting. Um, and what I also liked is that there was not these boring uh, presentations of customers that they kind of um, add uh, everywhere. And so the the customer presentations were actually quite quite short this time, and it uh, it was okay to 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 listen to them. I mean, you could uh, grab something to eat in between or something like this. So so that that was cool. I think um, better than than at 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 Las Vegas where they have like 15 minutes someone talking about something that no one is interested in, and you can't leave because you are squeezed into this little chairs. <laughs> um, so yeah, that. That is um, uh, actually a, a better experience than than uh, at at Las Vegas. Okay, Andrea. So let's 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 dive into the announcements. Um, so I can I can start. So I, I have to look at my at my notes here a little bit. So the first um, kind of um, serviceware improvements were announced is the EC2 service. So we have new instance types, and basically. Um, it is about machine learning uh, optimized um, instance types. So there will be, and this is all an announcement for the future. It will be available next year. So there will be um, Habana Gaudi based EC2 instances, and that seems to be uh, provided by Intel. So they still do do uh, have a good relationship with Intel. Even so, they also announced their own um, ML chip, uh, the AWS. Um, it's called Tranium. So it's basically an an, an AWS uh, developed chip to to do the same thing. It it basically the the message here is that with those chips, you can lower your costs for um, inference. So when you make actual predictions based on your models. So yeah. So. So, Michael, I think of that. So, is that probably comparable to what Apple is doing? They have on their chips, the M1 on their MacBooks now, they have those special areas where they do machine learning stuff and they are optimized for those kinds of workloads. I, I imagine that this is something similar, but only for your cloud servers, right? Yeah. So, I haven't looked into the details, but I, I, I guess it's something like this. Yeah. Um, so, and that, that's kind of it from the EC2 space. There's also this C6 GN instance type, but there's, I mean, they just add new instance types and, and stuff like this, but there was nothing, um, like revolutionary here. Um, so, um, let's talk about containers, Andreas, because I think there actually were a couple of announcements that are a little bit more interesting than just small improvements. So one 
one area that AWS kind of expands into is that they now allow, and if I say now, it's not actually you can use it. It's in, in 2021, you can at some time maybe use it or not. If they ship it or not, it, it is also possible that it's kind of delayed. But the the promise is that you will be able to run ECS and also AKS, what they call anywhere, which basically means on-premises on your own servers. And I looked a little bit into the details of how ECS Anywhere works. And if I say I looked into the details, all I can do at the moment is read through the blog post. And uh, there's there's no documentation there. There's nothing to try out, actually. So how it works is that you can actually run the ECS agent on your own hardware. So you could also run it on your laptop, probably. Um, and this agent then connects to the ECS uh, control plane. And the way the... Um, the authentication and stuff works is they'll rely on um, SSM managed instances. And there's this uh, feature called, it's called an activation. So you basically um, add uh, a kind of a, it's like a secret onto the machine for activation. And then it reaches out to SSM and activates this machine. And then you get kind of a proven identity that this is really the machine that, 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 it claims to, that it claims to be. And with this mechanism, you also then get access to uh, for example, IAM roles. So the tasks that run on your own machine managed or orchestrated by ECS will have an IAM role. So you, it works like any other ECS task. So that's what I like. But then I think the problem starts. So I don't understand how the whole networking thing is going to work. So what is about security groups? I mean, they cannot really define security groups because, I mean, this is not a VPC, right? And I also don't understand how the whole load balancer stuff is going to work. Yeah, the load balancer, in theory, you can have a target on-premises from your load balancer. That should work, in theory. Um, but yeah, interesting how they will do that. So so I assume that you will not have security groups. Um, but yeah, you, you can register uh, a machine running on-premises at the load balancer. That should work. Of course, you have to do all the networking <laughs> setup underneath. So um, that's maybe interesting. Also, it's interesting if you can use an, a load balancer in your on-premises data center or if you have to use an application load balancer. Yeah, that's yeah interesting. <laughs> so that was exactly the direction I was thinking into. So because, I mean, it doesn't really make sense to route your traffic into the cloud and then back into your data center, right? Because the load balancer is in, in, the, in the cloud. And so I was thinking that maybe AppMesh comes into here. But I mean, we know that AppMesh is kind of, I mean, there's room for improvement and I don't know if they can speed up and support it. Yeah. But maybe that's how the network is going to work, yeah. Maybe the whole motivation here is that you just have that on your checklist <laughs> so that when someone comes in that argumentation, so do we do uh, Kubernetes or do we do ECS, you can say, yeah, you can run it on-premises if you want, if you really want to. So that Because that's one of the arguments <laughs> why you cannot use or why you shouldn't use uh, Kubernetes um, or why you shouldn't use ECS and use Kubernetes instead is that you can run that on-premise well. And now that argument is more or less gone. Of course, it's not in every technical detail gone, but from a management point of view, you can say, we use ECS and we, we could do it on-prem as well. So maybe it's also kind of that uh, feature. So just to have that on the checklist. Yeah, I think you're reading my mind, Andreas. And I, I really had some, like, I was looking into Google Antos and that's kind of, like Google was uh, first here. So this is the way to run your Kubernetes like in the cloud and on-premises and do the hybrid thing and kinds of stuff. I don't know the details if it really works, but that's kind of the promise. And I think that's kind of the response to that now. Yeah. 
Mm. Uh, but I, what I don't understand is, so do, have you had a look into that? So what is the, the thing of EKS anywhere? So I understand it for ECS, and I think it's a it's an interesting uh, direction that they're going there, but but I don't understand what EKS <laughs> on-prem should should do for me. So what's the what's the selling point here? Do we have anything? I I don't know really what is this about but it comes with this uh, open source kubernetes distribution so basically aks is now or is not every time if if i say now in this video it's always next year yeah so um it, it, nothing is available today um so they they have their kubernetes distribution that you can then use so you have the same kind of flavor of kubernetes and i i i imagine that it reaches out to the like the control plane also runs on aws But that's, I'm not 100% sure if that's the case, but that would make sense because otherwise you need the etcd stuff and things running in your data center as well. So that wouldn't make much sense. Um, so my assumption is that it's also like the control plane, but I haven't looked at EKS anywhere in detail. I just checked out the ECS one. Um, so I cannot provide you the details here, sorry. Um, last but not least, um, Andrea's announcement in the, in the container space is we finally have an alternative for Docker Hub. Um, it's called ECR Public. And they they kind of listen to your uh, like thoughts, Andreas. It is like at two different flavors of repositories. There are private one and public ones. So you cannot accidentally make a private one public. And you cannot even change it. So once it is public, it's public forever. Once it's private, it stays private. Um, so yeah, we will see. I mean, at the moment, there are maybe 100 images in there. So it's, yeah, it, it, it definitely needs some time and, and people publish stuff into this uh, registry. But It, it looks like an alternative to the Docker Hub with the rate limits that are very strict at the moment. Yeah, and is it is it also providing a web interface to search through all that uh, images that are published there? Yeah, it provides a web interface and a search box, but I mean, there's room for improvement, but yeah, there's a way to look through the images. Uh, but it's available right now. Yes, it's available. It's up and running. You can have a look at it. Um, and I, I, I just like scrolled through the, the images and it's five pages at the moment. So I think you don't can scroll through Docker Hub, but you can act at the moment scroll through ECR public. <laughs> <laughs> okay, cool. So maybe search is not needed at the moment because I can just go over the list. Okay. Yeah. So, so maybe that, okay. Yeah. So the next thing maybe, uh, is, so we have easy two, we have containers. Next is Lambda. So the smallest compute service, the smallest compute uh, uh, unit. So I think one announcement is quite interesting. So the Lambda had, are now built in one millisecond increments. It was 100 millisecond uh, increments before. So that can be interesting because yeah, you're not always paying the full 100 milliseconds that just started. So it should, in theory, reduce the costs for um, the Lambda execution times. Um, depending on what you're doing, this I don't know if that really has that much of an effect, but it definitely has an effect on on, on your AWS bill. So that's uh, kindly appreciated. No big revolution, but okay, it's a fine fine thing. I don't know um, if that's that too important, but but good to have that. But there ha there's more with Lambda. So Michael, what about that? Yeah, so and that that's one of the announcements that I again picked to look a little bit deeper into, and that's the container support for Lambda functions. And I think there was like for years, like people discussed if that's a good idea or not. And I, I have no opinion. Um, so I don't really understand why it's needed. But I mean, if you have good reasons, then that sounds promising. The problem is that it might sound a little bit too promising. So my first impression was, okay, cool. I can now spin up a container in Lambda. But no, that's not the case. So what you have to do is you, you can bring whatever image you like, but 
you have to implement the Lambda Runtime API. Otherwise, it's not going to work. If you have an application that listens on a port, for example, port 80 or something, and you kind of think that, okay, now you can spin it up in Lambda. No, that's not going to work. So what you need is you need an application purpose-built to run against the Lambda Runtime API, which basically is an HTTP API that AWS Lambda provides, so you can reach it from your container. And there are four endpoints. You can um, get the next event. You can uh, report a success. You can report an error, and you can report a startup error, like if the whole thing crashes during startup. And AWS makes this a little bit easier. So they provide base images for a couple of languages. Um, so I have to check the list. .NET, Ruby, Go, Node, Java, Python, where they basically implement this already for you. So you again hand over or you, you kind of specify in the Docker file, okay, what's the, the node function that should be invoked? And I mean, honestly, what's the, what's the benefit here? I mean, I can do the same thing with just a node runtime. Um, so I don't quite understand it, but I mean, you can bring additional dependencies maybe if you do some image stuff or some, I don't know, if you have complicated dependencies. Yeah, yeah I think, so I think, Michael, what is interesting here is exactly what you said. So we had that problems many times before. If you have some binary libraries that you need to bring together or ship together with your Lambda function source code, uh, it's maybe now easier to package and bundle that together into a container instead of <laughs> those all those tricks to to package that in the zip file um and there's also how to test uh locally before so that's maybe a, a good point here um so i didn't expect it to work like that like you have described it now so basically i have to implement um interacting with that api for getting new events in and everything and a lot can go wrong there so that's what i <laughs> i fear a little bit so because what happens if your process is not uh, fetching the events probably uh, from 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 lambda so then probably everything bursts into flames so i think that is um it needs to be handled with care uh, so <laughs> so it's probably not for everyone but for yeah, specific use cases where it makes sense um, the other thing that I can think of why it could be valuable to do use that Lambda container support. So if you really bring your own container, um, you do not depend on the execution environment that AWS provides anymore. So remember, they just they're sunsetting any Node.js or Python versions, and then you have to migrate your whole stuff to to the new versions to keep it up and running. So maybe that is for, for example, if you're building stuff for an enterprise that that should run on on Lambda for I don't know ten years without touching it ever again, um, that might be a good reason to do it as well because then yeah, you can just bring your container, and as long as the API interface uh, the Lambda Runtime API does not change. You don't have to change your containers and your source code. Maybe that's a interesting thing. The, the The promise is you can now finally run your insecure applications on Lambda, or <laughs> you can you can run your insecure enterprise applications forever with Lambda. I don't. It's also interesting because how do because I, I always thought it is a good thing that they are sunsetting this insecure old uh, runtime environments uh, because also it helps them to 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 keep their whole infrastructure uh, on a yeah on a secure and, and modern level. I think that is a, actually a good thing to force customers to upgrade to those new versions. Um, so yeah, let's see how that turns out in the future. Interesting. Okay, Andreas, we spent a lot of time already discussing only the compute announcements, so let's switch to the storage uh, chapter. Maybe, Michael, there's, there's one more thing, Michael. So uh, you're skipping over that. So there's AWS Proton, uh, and that that looks interesting. So so let, let me try to put it in my own words. So as far as I understood, what they're doing here is 
many organizations, if they if they start their journey with cloud and maybe they do some DevOps, agile stuff as well, and they uh, change everything in their organization, or at least they they try to do so. Um, in many organizations, what they do is they, they build a platform team. And the idea is the platform team takes care of the, the, the heavy lifting on top of AWS so that application developers and developer teams have it, they have an yeah, easy way to ship their microservices to AWS. So they build stuff like uh, the EKS cluster and have a way of a deployment pipeline that they provide for each team to, to, sh to ship their application, for example, or similar things. They do the infrastructure setup for the serverless application and the developer team just brings in their source code. And I think that's the idea of Proton is um, to find a way how those those teams can interact with an, with each other. So it's a technical solution for a people problem, I think, um, because yeah, the platform team can now provide templates so that developer teams that can developer teams can use to deploy their applications. So I think of it is basically you, you do infrastructure as code on the platform team. You set everything up as it's intended to work in the organization from a network and security and everything perspective. And the developers have an API that they can use to deploy their applications based on the templates that your platform team provides. So you can do your customization there and they can just use it uh, out of the box. So the demo video uh, on the marketing page uh, says they can do it with a click of a button. I hope that there is more automation <laughs> than clicking a button. So I hope that there is an API for that and a CICD pipeline that you can use instead. But yeah, that's, that's I think, the idea. In practice, I see many organizations struggling a little bit with that approach because the problem is if you have a platform team, the platform team becomes something like your IT department <laughs> and you have a dependency to that. And then it gets hard to stay flexible and up to speed. So I don't think if that fits too well with the reinventing patterns that Andy Chessy described at the beginning, but I think it, it can be interesting for organizations that are on that path and want to at least automate that interface between the developer teams and the platform team. Yeah, Andreas, I, I have the impression that you looked uh, at this a little bit closer than I. So is it actually based on CloudFormation templates or what's the template? Uh, I'm not sure about that. So what, I, what I've seen is I've some, seen some tweets about that they plan to integrate it into CDK, but I don't know if that's, um, yeah, I don't know exactly. I assume that there is infrastructure as code behind it, uh, but I don't know 100%. On one of the screenshots, I saw code pipeline. So the pipeline seems to be implemented by code pipeline. But I was I was also interested in how it relates to service catalog because that's kind of, I mean, it's not the same, but it's kind of similar. So, but that's maybe for the future. So, okay, so let's talk about storage. Um, so um, I think there's one announcement that, that you liked, Andreas. So let's talk about this a little bit. Yeah, so they announced a new EBS uh, volume type, the general purpose three volume type, GP3. So the promise is it's 20% cheaper. Uh, you get four times the maximum throughput of IOPS per storage, and it's available today. So I, I created my first uh, volume uh, based on GP3 already. Um, and then I looked, I tried to find out a little bit about the technical details, and this wasn't that easy. So there's a very small blog post about all of that, so not, not too much information in there. The documentation is not... There is some documentation, but it doesn't really go into detail. So yeah, let me summarize what we know. Uh, so with um, GP3, you get a baseline performance of 3,000 IOPS and uh, 125 uh, megabit per second throughput. 
And um, so that's what you get for each volume that you create. And if you want to have more, so if you have to increase the throughput, you can increase the throughput to up to 16,000 IOPS and uh, 1,000 uh, megabit per second. Uh, but then you pay for that throughput. So you have to configure that. And that's something you do over the API. So you can turn it on, turn it off. Uh, it's not scaling automatically or anything. And um, yeah, that's the way it works. It's different than the general purpose 2 the previous version because there we had that that bursting capability so i don't think that this is available with gp3 at least that's not mentioned in the documentation or anywhere so i think you only have the baseline performance and if you want more you just start paying for that so it behaves a little bit different um, actually it behaves in my opinion uh, what i've learned about it it behaves very similar to the provisioned iops so the um, uh, io2 uh, instance uh, volume types so i'm not 100 sure yet of what's really the difference between gp3 and io2 sort of the provision throughput mode um, i did a cost comparison so i tried to calculate the costs compared to gp3 and io2 and what i found out is so io2 is a is a lot more expensive for it seems like the same throughput uh, that you can get so, of course, IO2 scales up much higher, so you can have much higher throughput provision there. But if you do a similar configuration with both options, um, in my example, GP3 costs uh, less than half or even a third of uh, what you pay with IO2. So I'm not, <laughs> I'm not yet 100% sure um, if there is a difference. Maybe the difference is, so that is with IO2, you have an SLA, uh, on achieving the, the throughput to your volumes. Maybe there is nothing like that for the GP3 ones. I don't know, but that, that's not mentioned anywhere. Um, so let's see how this turns out in the future. Okay, and also like the naming is then maybe not the best because, I mean, it's not really general purpose anymore, so it, it doesn't behave like the other ones. So, yeah. Maybe the general purpose part is that the, the baseline is sufficient for most applications. Maybe that's the general part of it. I don't know. So there was another interesting announcement and, and I like there were many, many use cases I, I stumbled upon in the past years where this could be helpful. And it's called if I like the, the name also is a little bit kind of I don't know how what kind of name it is, but it's called IoT Block Express Volume. And it actually is a SAN kind of a storage. Um it provides up to two hundred and fifty-six thousand IOPS per second. And, and a throughput of 4,000 megabits per second. And it's not available as the GP3, it's in preview. Um, and the cool thing here is, and this was just announced as like, this thing is in preview, and then there was another thing announced that might be coming in the future, and it's called multi-attach. So that could actually solve the big pain of many enterprises where they need one volume attached to many nodes that is not as low as EFS. <laughs> so I'm, I'm, I'm looking forward to that. So that could really be a big a big change for some workloads where they exchange data over um, over the storage, basically. Okay, so I'm not sure about that. So, so the multi-attach, doesn't it sound more like uh, attaching the same EBS volume to multiple machines and then you have to make sure that only one of them writes to the volume? Probably that's more like that, or? Yeah, but the question is, does it only work in a single A set as today for some EBS volume? I mean, you can already have a EBS volume attached to multiple instances, many limitations, instance type of stuff. But I don't know if this will work across zones, for example. And if then that, that could be interesting. And again, if you write to the same file, yes, it will kind of blow up. Um, that's correct. Yeah, next topic, 
the databases. Um, so um, um, the first thing that was uh, announced there is um, Aurora Serverless version 2, because version 1 did not work. <laughs> so that's my personal summary of it. So so we reviewed um, Aurora Serverless um, I think it was last year or the year before. There's a blog post about it. You will find a link uh, to that in the in the in the description here. Um, so Aurora Serverless was missing the following features. So it did not support multi-asset. So you had only one instance in a single availability zone. So this was uh, also why you don't, didn't have any SLAs on Aurora Serverless before. It didn't support read replicas, and um, also, it did not support uh, databases spanning multiple regions. And basically, with Aurora Serverless version 2, <laughs> AWS promises to fix all those problems. So basically, what they say is there will be uh, Aurora Serverless version 2. The preview for MySQL is available already, and Postgres will be available next year as a preview. So let's see when general availability um, is coming around. But, but yeah. They promised to fix all the problems that we had with overall serverless version one. So I think that's a good thing. And I'm looking forward to that because overall, I think that would be a really killer feature if OWA serverless would really work uh, and, and offer the same capabilities than uh, Aurora and RDS offers in general. So I'm looking forward to that. Yeah, and I think one of the other big benefits is that it scales up much faster in, in smaller increments. So, uh, and I hope this will also kind of get rid of this long, like if you scale down to zero, it takes like AWS promises that it spins up and now they claim it like five to 50 seconds. <laughs> and, and I mean, 50 seconds is, that's not a good, a good idea if, if your application pauses for 50 seconds, if the first user visits it. Um, so I hope that will get better as well. And the only fear I have, so why do they name it version two? I mean, why can they not just make my existing serverless cluster working better? So if I have to migrate, then I will be mad. Um, so I'm, I'm really interested in how they will solve that. Because if it's really a version two, then that that's that's that wouldn't be a, a good like experience for for users. But let's see. I mean, there's nothing announced how that works. Out. My assumption is they have been going in the wrong direction. They are not able to fix that from an architectural point of view. They are now doing something completely different, and. I think there will be probably migration paths. Probably you have to snapshot or something your database and have a short downtime. That's what I assume. But let's see how this turns out. Okay, last but not least in the database space. Um, so there was one announcement and I'm kind of suspicious of announcement like that. So it's basically a project called Bubblefish, which tries to solve the problem of your existing application runs against the MySQL, uh, uh, sorry, <laughs> against the Microsoft SQL Server. And this magic Babelfish project in between converts it into Postgres. Um, so you can run your existing MS SQL applications against Postgres and Babelfish does all the magic. Don't believe them. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's always, if there's magic involved, then I'm suspicious. But let's see. Um, it is, I don't know what it actually is. It's not really a service. It is announced to be an open source project in, in, in 2021. Uh, I don't know how it will look like in the beginning, what it is actually. Is it something that you run on your EC2 or I don't know. Is it a library or I don't know how it works. Um, but yeah, so if you're interested in, in the magic for um, MS SQL, then, then that's interesting. Otherwise, I don't think that's a big, uh, a big thing. Yeah, we call it computer science for a reason. So it's not, it's not, it's science. It's not magic. So <laughs> you should, you should keep it that way. Okay. So then there have been a lot of announcements about um, data and machine learning services. 
Um, I'm not really into those uh, in, into that area. So they have some SageMaker improvements. They now have pipelines. They have uh, things that help you to prepare your data sets. Uh, I don't understand about enough about those things that I can really say if that's a good thing that they are doing something in that area. That's all I can say about it. Is there anything you would add to those services, Michael? I mean, I have a couple of things to add. So first, there will be another keynote focused specifically on machine learning and, and this kind of uh, topics. So I, I expect there's many, many more things to come here. So if you're interested in that space, check out this keynote. I think it's next week. I'm not 100% sure. I think it's Thursday, but I could be wrong, but it's next week. Um, so the, the, the key announcements that I like kind of liked is uh, the first is Clue Elastic Fuse. It's basically a way to get data from one data store into another and persist it there. So for example, if you like you have an elastic search cluster where you have, I don't know, all your important uh, data and then you crunch it, for example, in the top 10 and then you put it into DynamoDB or something like that. So kind of a materialized view from one database into another one. And that's kind of what the service claims to do or claims to do in the in the future. It's in preview at the moment. So it, it reads from a source database, it does some um, aggregation, and then it puts it into a target database for um, like more efficient access. And it does all that automatically. So it's kind of a data job kind of thing. That sounds interesting, yeah. I'm, I'm looking forward to that. I, I missed that, actually. <laughs> so I missed that part of the, the keynote, as it seems. Yeah, so that's lots of stuff, and there's, uh, the possibility of missing something is very high in dress, so no, no problem. So another thing that I... I like, and I, I mean, it, it, it's really just an announcement, so no one knows how it works, but um, Amazon DevOps Guru, which basically is the magic. Again, it's, it's kind of magic. So it, it, it will detect problems up front. So you run your workloads, then you receive an email. In, in 10 minutes, you're, you're, you'll run into an issue if you don't do this. Click this button, and then you click the button, and then it's, the problem is gone before it appeared. So that's kind of the promise. Um, I'm not sure how it's actually going to work, but uh, if it works like this, then that could be crazy. And and I, I, I definitely like to integrate this into Marbot Andreas. So this this could be great to send alerts to Marbot, our chatbot in Slack and, and Microsoft Teams. Um but I'm yeah, I'm looking forward. I, I try to get into the preview, so um I I will see if I can get that um done. And then I will check it out. So that is uh, another thing here. And um, then we had um QuickSight's Q. Um, so QuickSight is the way to kind of define dashboards across your data um, um, in your in your AWS um, accounts. Um, so can connect to all kinds of sources. And with QuickSight Q, you basically don't need to define the dashboard anymore. You can just ask a question. So for example, what we could ask uh, QuickSight Q, Andreas, and that's what I'm going to try out if I get into the preview is, um, um, QuickSight, what's the most popular blog post of cloudonout.io? And if it can answer this question, then it's really a, a great service. Um, but I don't know if it is going to work. So it will just answer all kinds of questions by looking at the schema of your data and then provides the answer. I don't know if it works, but um, again, um, if it does, then that could be great. Looking forward to that. <laughs> yeah, Michael. So then what was fascinating me is they had a really long section in their keynote talking about Amazon Connect. So Amazon Connect is their solution to build up a call center with all kinds of uh, integrations with machine learning and automating stuff. Um, so I, th I found that quite interesting that they have that strong focus on that product because I thought it's more of a niche, but it seems to be important to a lot of customers. So um, they dedicated a lot of time to that. So a lot of announcements uh, to Amazon Connect uh, within the last weeks and months already. So uh, I observed that while scrolling through all the announcements from AWS. 
that there's a lot going on in the Amazon Connect space, but they had special announcements in the keynote. So you can have customer profiles, which basically is, I, I, I think it uh, integrates uh, the, the, the contact center with your CRM tools so that you know more about your customers, the, the purchases that they did, if they called in uh, early and stuff like that. Um, they have something now that that is called uh, Connect Real-Time Contact Lens. And basically the idea is when a customer calls in and is very angry about your service or something like that, uh, that's immediately uh, detected. And the manager of the agents is informed about that and he can or she can uh, tune into that conversation, coach the agent or also just um, transfer the call uh, to the manager. Um, so that's, that's probably interesting if you do a call center. I've never done it before. So we're using Amazon Connect uh, for the two of us. So we're not really running a call center, but that's, uh, that's interesting. And also uh, they added um, more stuff like uh, voice ID. So when someone calls in, um, Amazon Connect will, will find out if, if they talked to that person before based on their voice. So that could be interesting. And um, they have integrated what they call Connect Tasks. So basically uh, you can think of it as a to-do list uh, for, for the agents, what they have to, uh, to work on after a call. So that sounds interesting. And what's what's fascinating to me is that that had so much attention or so much space in the keynote. Yeah, yeah, I agree. So this was really, he was talking, Andy was talking, I think it was like maybe 50 minutes or longer about Connect. And the cool thing here is also that most of this stuff is general available, so you can use it um, with the exceptions of Connect Voice ID, which is in preview. But um, yeah, so that's one of the services that actually delivers something on reInvent, which is also pretty cool. So you can try something out here. Yeah, I would. I mean, what I find interesting is that AWS kind of kind of broadened the hybrid terms. So they they define like for me, hybrid is like running stuff in the data center and in the cloud. And then AWS says, okay, no, that's not that's not that's not all that hybrid is about. So hybrid is more. So hybrid is not only about running your stuff in your on-premises data center and in the cloud. It's also about maybe you run stuff in your stores. Like there's now outposts like very small outposts that that fit like like not like a whole rack of 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 the size but it's it's like a pizza box like the the, the like the, the way you bought a server like before you went to the cloud basically those kind of uh, what is it half inch or i don't know kind of tall things that you just uh, put into the stack uh, into the rack and and this is now what you get an outpost like it's very small you can put it into into stores um or into your office or wherever you you like then you can run EC2 and, and RDS and stuff like this on that. And so that's one 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 possibility. Then they 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 expand the local zone stuff. So they add more um, zones all, all over the US. I think they're only in the US at the moment, but they add in many, many of the metropolitan areas, they add new uh, zones. Um, and last but not least, Wavelength. So this is the, the kind of the extension to the cloud that runs um at with the mobile carriers for the 5g use cases so it's basically close to where the mobile phones connect to so we can also run stuff and and this is kind of interesting i think um just they kind of i don't know if they redefined the term hybrid but for me it was not obvious that this is also kind of hybrid but it i mean it makes kind of sense but it's all managed aws stuff so it's not your own data center so this is all managed by aws the hardware um so that's kind of uh, interesting and then they also had some um yeah, new ways, and I don't know if that also fits into this hybrid kind of uh, topic or not, but they have like a new um, service, or I don't know if it's really a service, a new offering called Monitron, which helps you to get data, sensor data from 
your um i don't know from maybe your uh, your truck or maybe from the factory to aws yeah what's interesting about that i think is they they build up devices that you can use uh, and they connected with the cloud already so i think they're going really into they're really going to the edges and they build devices that connect to the cloud over a network automatically and that can send send the data to aws so i think that that is really valuable because that's a I assume I've never done it before, but I assume that's a lot of work to do if you have to get everything up and running with such a connection to the internet from um, from basically everywhere uh, where, where those machines are deployed. So that sounds that sounds really interesting. Um, I think the the use cases Andy mentioned in the in the keynote is very limited. So the sensors and everything are uh, at least from my perspective seem to be very limited. But I think that's a that's a start. They will probably widen that that products and that devices that you can buy um, a lot in the future and i think that's a the very interesting um, uh, improvement here yeah yeah i remember temperature humidity and vibration i don't know if there was another sensor but yeah that's kind of what they what they can provide you um so also we have um this um new new service called panorama appliance so it's i think it's kind of a way to if you have like um, like cameras for security purposes and looking um, at your I don't know entrance for example this is kind of a way to to get this data it's a device that you install on on your like uh, on your site and then it kind of plugs into the camera and then it, it it streams the data to the cloud and it also does some kind of um, it has some built-in models so maybe you can detect people or I don't know if you can detect a dog or stuff like this so um, but yeah it, it, it all makes it a little bit easier to interact with with AWS, yeah. I think it's for those computer vision uh, scenarios. I think it's not really for civilians. Probably it's more for, I don't know, you do quality control in a factory with a camera. You take a picture of every item that goes through your factory and try to find out if, if that is as expected. Stuff like that is probably what they are uh, doing with, with those things here. Um, yeah, but yeah, interesting. Uh, they are going into that direction as well. So basically they broaden their service uh, uh, ecosystem there as well uh, so that's what i probably is the takeaway here okay michael uh so did we miss any important announcement or are we ready for a summary of everything i i think we are ready for the summary i mean we definitely missed something but we i mean we picked uh, also a little bit that the important one so yeah let's do the summary andreas okay i think so so my summary is um so again as the years before the keynote uh, shows evolution instead of revolution. Um, so when I remember the days where there was announcement of Lambda or something like that in the keynote, this was really this was really a revolution of everything. And nowadays in those keynotes we see evolution. So it's comparable to if you watch <laughs> Apple doing a keynote about the iPhone. So the iPhone gets better every year, but really. The, the the improvements that are made over each year are not that significant anymore, and I think that's that's true for AWS as well. So they improve, they they, uh, they there's an evolution going on, and they get better and better. They have they broaden their service uh, ecosystem, um, but but I think it's no 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 surprises really. There was nothing really that really surprised me about that keynote. Uh, I've, I, um, yeah, I find it really cool that they that they still are able to to ship new important features, that they cover important areas, that they iterate based on customer feedback. I think that's what you can see when you look over all those uh, announcements, and I'm, they're doing a great job there. That's what I like. 
Um, also, what I noticed when watching the keynote, um, there is no longer such a strong focus on enterprise, enterprise, enterprise. So the years before, sometimes I, I, I felt a little bit they are only now focusing on enterprise customers. Uh, this keynote seemed like they really have everyone in mind. So from a small startup to big enterprise customers and everything in between. So that's that's what I like. Um, I think um, what uh, what stick to my mind is that QuickSight and Connect, they both those two services seem to make a lot of progress, and they had a uh, a lot of time in the keynote. And I think that's um, that's remarkable. I didn't expect that maybe. So that's what I observed. Uh, and of course, I'm I'm happy about all those announcements in the container and serverless world. So what about you? What's your summary, Michael? Yeah, so I agree uh, with your summary. So I hope that uh, Werner is not the enterprise guy this year, so that he talks about all this enterprise stuff. Um, yeah, let's see. But yeah, um, I, I really like most of the announcements. So what I always don't like, but this is like the new way of how reInvent works. So like since a couple of years, they, they announce stuff that will be shipped next year. So there's not much to actually use at the moment. So we are now know what AWS is working on, but I mean, there's not much to actually use, um, which is, yeah, it's, I don't know, I maybe other people's work differently, but I always are a little bit like, um, I, I like if I can try things out if they are announced, so... Um, yeah, we now wait until next year to try out all this cool stuff. Um, but definitely, most of the improvements make a lot of sense to me, and I, um, yeah, I can agree with your summary that that AWS makes things better every year. So that's it, Andreas. I think that's it. Um, anything else to say? Or yes, there's there's one more thing. So um, if you have watched or listened uh, to this special about the reinvent keynote of Andy Chessy in 2020. Please send us your feedback because we want to know about how you like that format. Uh, if, if there's something you want to improve, or if you just send us send us uh, something up or some down, that would be uh, very helpful for us um, to improve that uh, in the future. So thank you very much, Michael, for going over the keynote together with me. I'm always uh, I'm excited to what is coming in the next three weeks because reInvent will be three weeks long. So this is um, <laughs> quite a lot of time that we now uh, will see new uh, announcement and keynotes coming. So uh, looking forward to that. So yeah, thanks for listening and for watching and uh, we will see you soon. Bye. <laughs>